the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello, my name's Richard Moore. I'm with Lionel Burney. Hello, Lionel. Hello, Richard. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Um, we're back a week earlier than advertised. The full team, that's me, you and Daniel will be convening next week for the first regular episode of 2022. Um, but we thought we'd kick off the year with this bonus episode, I suppose. It's something a little bit different. Yeah, what's the story, Richard? Who are we going to be hearing from today? We're going to be hearing a long interview from a young rider, Kian Utebroeks. He is Belgian, he's 18 years old, and he's just signed for Bora Hansgrohe. And he's tipped to be one of the sport's future stars. I went to visit him at his family's home close to the Wallonia-Flanders border, which right there is something that makes him quite interesting. And we talk a bit about that. Um, just before Christmas, I went to, to visit him. Um, I'd heard a lot about him before I went to see him. I think everybody in cycling is vaguely familiar with the name, even if, like me, a lot of people struggle with the pronunciation. Yeah, so Kian Erdebrooks. Well, that's it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I'll be practicing that before he starts racing. But already people are calling him the next Remco, which seems absolutely extraordinary. I suppose the next next Remco is just about to start primary school, probably, He's in just Belgium been born. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it could be, I don't know, Wout van Aert's young child, I don't know. Uh, he was courted, uh, Utebrooks, this is, by Quickstep, uh, joined them on a training camp in Italy, we'll hear a bit about that. Also Team DSM came pretty close to joining them, and Jumbo Visma for a bit, because his coach was working for Jumbo Visma, but eventually signed for three years with Bora Hansgrohe, and he'll make his debut in Mallorca in a couple of weeks. In the old days, of course, um, an 18-year-old, we probably wouldn't hear much about him for a good few years but these days who knows well already Richard there's some Belgian beef brewing isn't there I suspect this is inevitable when a young pretender comes along to challenge the young pretender it's already kicking off is it <laughs> well even the poll um, in response to some of the, the headlines in Belgium um, about the new Remco um, he tweeted, when he becomes double Belgian champion, European champion and world champion, we can talk, exclamation mark. And just in case we hadn't got the message, Evan Nepal added, or wins the European championships with a 10 minute lead. Another <laughs> exclamation mark. And the exclamation marks uh, were supposed to indicate levity, I think, but um, I'm not sure. I think a nerve, a raw nerve was hit perhaps there with uh, Remco Evan Nepal. But anyway, that'll be fun to watch. Utebroeks came through the same Belgian junior team as Evenepoel, Akrog Tormans. Lots of very talented riders have graduated from that team. And in fact, we heard from uh, and about that team in the French special, the uh, Flanders Redux French special that we did after the World Championships last year. But the club's chairman said that Utebroeks could be the best of the lot, that his performances on climbs and training were even more impressive than his race results. He has no equal in climbing or time trialing, he said, he does things I've never seen before. Of course, we have no idea how good a cyclist Utebroeks will become, but I do know that I've rarely had such a warm welcome as the one that I got from his family when I arrived at their home on a cold, dark December evening. Hello there. Hi. Yes, I will put the mask too. Oh yeah, just sorry. Oh, I thought, no, don't worry. I don't. don't. Yes, but it's, uh, I just thought. We are doing uh, renovation works for the moment. Yeah. So it's a difficult moment for us. Yeah. We don't have uh, the cuisine is uh, oh, a yeah, problem yeah. for the moment, and uh, so it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry. Uh, everything here to, to right. eat and to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, worry. So we, oh no, no. We cannot plan. I know the feeling. I know the yes, feeling. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Do you want a coffee or a beer or, hey, hi. or some water? Or oh, water? just a water would be great. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. A sparkling or oh, a sparkling if you have okay. it. Yeah, yes, thank yes. You. yes. Yeah. We have it. Okay. Yes. Thank you. No problem. Perfect. You can sit where you want. Great. Uh, just, uh... Great. Yes, because I thought uh, 
about English people that drink beer, so I brought <laughs> some beer from the region. Oh wow! I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm driving, so I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, I would have. Yes, yes, and oh, if, you, if you bought it special, I can maybe have one. Okay, because we have some. It's really from the region. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Great. Great. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm fine. Thank nice you. to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm sorry, I've arrived in, in the dark. It looks very nice right here. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Euros. Thanks very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsor. Super Sapiens, of course, uses the Abbott LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor to continuously monitor your blood glucose levels, giving you invaluable insights into fueling and whether you're fueling correctly. Must say congratulations too to Abbott for being selected as one of 10 CES 2022 Innovation Awards honorees in the fitness and sport category. The CES Innovation Awards program is an annual competition honouring outstanding design and engineering in consumer technology products. And Abbott have been recognised for developing the world's first biosensor, the LibraSense, designed for all athletes to better understand the correlation between their glucose levels and athletic performance. For more information on Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Thanks very much for agreeing to do this. It's been a few weeks we've been setting this up. Uh, but um, I thought, you know, I'm just really fascinated to speak to you at this point in your career mm -hmm. as, you, as you sort of start out. Um, and it's such an interesting story. But usually when I meet a rider and do an interview, I've done loads of research and I know loads about them. And I kind of, I, I know just bits about your story, really. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, because you're, you're so young and you're just yeah. starting out. Um, so that's quite interesting for me. So you know, I want you to tell me everything, uh, going okay. right, right back. I mean, you know, first of all, where are we? You, you mentioned that we're on, yeah. on the sort of border of, of Wallonia and Flanders. So yeah. did you grow up here? Yeah, exactly. So I grew up here. Uh, I went to school in Flanders, so where they speak Dutch. And uh, let's say my first cycling team that was in the Walloon part, so... I was a little bit in between both regions, so I did my studies in Flanders and my sports I did in the Walloon part. Right. And is that how, so, so you speak French as well and Dutch and, and English, obviously very well as well. I mean, where did you really? learn the English? Oh yeah, English, a little bit at school because we learned it for sure at school. But the most now in, in, the, in the pro team, let's say, or even with the junior team, because I was... I was last year with the junior team of Borans Grohe and there we had also different nationalities. So we speak English and there you learn for sure. If you practice it with other people, you learn the most. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. wonderful. <laughs> I've delivered a beer here. It's, Fantastic. It's local. Thank it's you. Yeah. It's uh, very nice, dark, dark <laughs> Belgian beer. What fantastic hospitality. Thank you. Mm. Mm. Oh, and cheese as well. Fantastic. Really being looked after here. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. This is all banned food and drink for a cyclist, but yeah. It's what I eat it every day for Excellent. becoming stronger. Excellent. That's wonderful. If you hear me eating in this recording, that'll be, you can edit that out, luckily. Um, so so you, you you started cycling in uh, Wallonia. Um, yep. You know what's significant about that is is the cycling culture quite different there. Yeah, exactly. So in the Flemish region, it's really popular. Um, if we go back to when I was, let's say, 13, 14 years old, uh, if you go then to races in, in Flanders, there are 100 participants. If we go to the Walloon region, we were sometimes with 12 riders at the start. So for sure, there we see a, a really big difference. Um, but in the end, the biggest difference was that in the Walloon part, they never put pressure on you. 
Um, the Flemish part is already a little bit more from the beginning. Okay, you need to win races, you need to do this, do that. The Wurum part is really calm uh, to that. And um, they had also where I was then, they had a really nice program with races in France because they speak already French in, this, in their home uh, language. Um, so yeah, they went to France and for sure for me that was quite interesting because then I could do races like Tour de Lain uh, who are in the mountains and that's for a development of a rider, it's really nice to do, yeah. Cool, and what age were you then when you started cycling? It was around 13 years old, yeah. Then I rode my first race. Um, and yeah, before I I did also some, you know, I went sometimes on the bike or on the mountain bike, but not really in competition. That started from 13 years old. And yeah. what, what prompted your interest? Was there a spark? Was there, you know, something? Or is it in the family? How did you? Yeah, so in the family, we have nobody who did sports. I am the first one now. Um, but if we, yeah, if we look to the whole story, let's say in the beginning, I was a really big fan of racing with cars and everything. And I made circuits by myself here in the garden. Uh, I like really rally circuits. And there I rode with my mountain bike and I, yeah, I did like a time trial then. And uh, then sometimes I asked friends to join me to do that. And then, you know, you had already kind of competition feeling and I liked that really much. And uh, then in the end I say, yeah, why not starting racing on the road or something? And uh, yeah, from the beginning, I liked it very much. I did not win directly races or something, but just to, to do it to the adrenaline and the races and those things I liked very much. So, and so it started step by step. <coughs> I mean, we're not, we're not talking about very long ago, of course, here, yeah. five, five years ago, I guess you, you yeah. started, but then, you know, was there, how did you get on? You said you weren't very good, but you, you must've adapted to, or, or, or progress pretty quickly I guess yeah yeah so in the beginning I I never won a race I was always second third maybe fifth and in the beginning you also don't think about becoming a pro rider or in my mind that was not possible that was not an option um, but then let's say in the U17 uh, there we had some bigger and some bigger international races and then I could really battle for the first places. And for sure in my second year under 17, I won a lot of international races also uphill. And then in my mind, it was like, yeah, maybe I can become one day a pro, maybe. Uh, but then I had not in my mind world tour or something. Uh, but then I thought, okay, I am maybe not so bad, but... For sure, you can never compare the, the level of youth races with the pro level. You can be in a, in a year that's less strong. So there are so many factors. Um, and then the biggest step was, let's say, in the, the junior category. Um, then I won Kürne. I got a new trainer, uh, a guy of Jumbo Visma, Marek Lamberts uh, was his name. Uh, and he did some performance tests with me. And then we saw... Uh, that my values were very high and that I could have some potential to maybe become yeah, a pro in the World Tour and then the interest of other teams uh, start coming and then, you know, then the negotiations and so on start. And by now you're, you're writing for, you know, a big junior team in, yeah. in Flanders. Um, tell me how that came about and what a change that was from writing for a, a club in Wallonia. Yeah, so I changed from um, yeah from sprint to 2000 was it to uh, Akroch Tormans uh, and then you saw it was directly more professional so we got bikes from the team uh, we rode also there a really international program even more international almost everything was international we went to training camps in Spain so it was already let's say like a little continental team for a junior team but uh, and that was the biggest difference. And that was also something that what I wanted because um, in the beginning, it's also very nice. You have no pressure and everything is more like playing, but at the moment you want to improve and to, to, yeah, to ride bigger races, to do better training camps and so on. And then for sure in Belgium, Agroch is the biggest team. Uh, so therefore I went there. Yeah. And 
they have a, a quite a, a strong link with the Koenig Quick Step, don't they? A lot of riders. Well, a lot of their riders have gone to lots yeah. of teams. They've, uh, I mean, Remco Evenepoel's one, one of exactly. their former riders. Um, so by that point, um, and we'll go, we'll return to Kerner, Brussels Kerner in a moment. But yeah. was there a pathway there then that you could see at that point to the kind of quick step or or to another team? You were being coached by somebody connected with Jumbo Visma. Were you yeah. open-minded about w- where the path might take you? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was really Jumbo Visma, what we thought, because my trainer was from that team and we were really in that direction. For sure, the Agro was, like you say, different. They say, no, don't go to Jumbo Visma. Quickstep is better. And I had also contacts then with Quickstep. Um, so it was, yeah, really in the beginning between Jumbo Visma and Quickstep. I went on training camp also with Quickstep then and so on. Um, and then uh, it was really special. Uh, then for sure there were also other teams but then Bora contacted me uh, my trainer also what I what's now my trainer Dan Lorang and uh, I and they said yeah we just want to know the guy behind the yeah the newspapers let's say and then the first talk with them was so nice and I felt really easy with them and yeah there was just like something special what I don't had with other teams and then everything changed in one time from my trainer and my team, let's say, uh, Jumbo Visma and the Koenig Quickstep to Bora. So, mm. yeah, that was... So just rewinding a bit, um, that victory at Kerner, Brussels, Kerner yeah. is, is, a, is a, a performance that people talk about. Talk me through that. Tell me what happened in that race. Oh, yeah. And that race, I in the beginning, I didn't start with accept, uh, expectations because it's a cobblestone race and I was at that moment... 62 or 61 kilograms so much too light for that race normally so i thought yeah we we will try to win maybe with the team the race but for myself yeah it was also my first race in the junior category so i say look i i want we will see what happens and no pressure but then in the race it was really hard and cold and then we really rode with the team like like the Kunning Quickstep the whole day in the front, make a high rhythm and then yeah, there gets riders dropped and then on the hot end, uh, one of the hard climbs I attacked and then we were away with seven riders or something and then just after the, the what was it? Um, one of the not yeah not one of the the climbs but i think after the cote trieu i attacked alone uh, a little bit farther when when the peloton tried to came back and i say yeah if the peloton come back that is this is not good for me because then it won't be a sprint so then i tried it alone and but it was still i think 50 kilometers or something so uh but i say okay what can i lose it's my first junior race i try it and uh, we have also from the team some more explosive guys in the bunch. So then if it comes back, uh, there is no worry. And yeah, in the, in the end, I could yeah stay in the front. And <laughs> that was for sure so for 50 amazing. kilometers solo, solo yeah, win. Something yeah. like that, yeah. I mean, you know, a young Belgian um, junior uh, performance like that in a country well, like this where mm. cycling is, is the national sport, that yeah. must have got you a lot of attention and... Exactly. Um, you know, did, did it was almost life changing? Did 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 something happen at, from that point? Yeah, for sure. Kurne was something that changed a lot because then you you get the whole press on it. Um, afterwards, there are then there are guys who say, "Wow, this is an amazing performance," and then it comes again in the press, and yeah, then then the whole thing starts. And then Remco did the same kind of attack when he won Kurne. So then they start comparing with Remco and uh, that whole story. And in the end, in the beginning, it's nice. You come in the newspapers. It's like, yeah, you are a good rider and you are like Remco. And then it feels also very nice in the beginning. But in the end, for sure, it puts also a kind of pressure on a rider. For sure, if the season goes further, you cannot win every race, um, and but they ex- they expected that you win everything. But mm. For sure, that's not uh, so easy. Is that is that a factor in joining a, a German team, perhaps because you know Belgium? This is such a pressure mm-hmm. cooker, and I think 
to kind of quick step as sort of the national team in a way. Uh, it might going there might might be a more pressurized environment for a young Belgian. Is that is that a factor in joining Bora Hansgrohe? Yeah, that was for sure one of the factors um, because Bora really don't want to put pressure. Uh, want to minimalize, minimalize a little bit the press. Uh, so uh, therefore I choose also more an international team like Israel Startup Nation was also an option there. Um, but uh, a team too close to Belgium or in Belgium was then less good because for sure if you go to the Koenig Quickstep with Remco then in the team it can explode, let's say. <laughs> How, I mean, these comparisons with Remco Evenepoel, I guess it, it's it's inevitable. Um, he he is an exception, you know, somebody who didn't race as an under-23, went straight from junior to professional. There are one or two others now, but you're another one. Um, he perhaps opened the door to mm. that, I guess. But how do you feel about these comparisons with Evenepoel? Yeah, like I say in the beginning, you... You think it's, you know, it's one of your heroes, it's a very good rider, and then you think, wow, they compare me with a guy of him. But in afterwards, there is really a pressure what starts, also in, just in your mind, from when you start at a race, you think already, oh, I need to win this race, because otherwise um, the press will say, yeah, he's not so good. Um, so it put kind of pressure, but then... It's also a really good mental school for in a junior category because in the end, if you are good in the pros, that will happen also. But then I really needed to change something in my mind from, okay, now I go my own way. I don't look to that. And if I win a race, it's very nice. They can compare me. If I don't win, I don't follow my road and, and go step by step because in the end, you cannot compare two riders from, from this age uh, uh, I am sure that Remco is a bit better in time trial also. Um, and yeah, I have maybe some other points where I am stronger. I also don't know now yet if I can become like him or can become like a very, very good rider in the in the World Tour. Um, but I think it was in the end a very good mental school to, yeah, to try to don't put too much pressure on you, the pressure you get from the press. Um, so... In the end, I, I could accept and I, I, I could live with it. Uh, it was no problem. Um, but in the beginning, for sure, it was really, really nice if, you, if they compare you with such a good rider. Well, I mean, you know, I suppose from current onwards, you are um, you're in, in, the, in, the, in the, the, the spotlight and, and you're on this, on this path to becoming a professional rider. I can hear that you're an educated guy as well. Um, you're still at school at this point. How were you balancing you know, school life, school work with yeah. cycling and the possibility or the probability that you were going to become a professional cyclist. Yeah, so last year it was, school was really the most important thing and then cycling, almost my whole, let's say, or can you say it, career until now was school was the most important and then cycling was something, yeah, for fun. Uh, for sure then next year it becomes already a little bit more uh, important but school was still the most important. Uh, if we look now at the moment, uh, I'm studying also still uh, psychology at the university, um, but really in a stretched plan. So I do a lot less than other students. Um, so let's say that cycling is for sure my job next year. So I need to focus a lot on it. Uh, it's, let's say, now a bit more important, but I also don't want to lose my my studies and also stay doing a little bit of that yeah mm. what's what university are you yeah now studying at? i am brussels brussels it's yeah. interesting tish benot i remember was an economics yeah student again and uh, florian vermeersch yeah uh, who you probably know very well yeah is a history student at ghent as well isn't he exactly so there are a few others who are yeah, who yeah, followed yeah, that yeah. path yeah. so is it, is it your intention to carry on your, your studies um, through the first few years of your career? Yeah, I will for sure try that. Uh, for sure, in a more easy way, uh, I try to balance it that I don't have also too much pressure of it. Um, it's now also the first year, really find a good balance in bet between those two things. Um, but yeah, for sure, I want to continue that the next years, yeah. What were you good at at school? What were your subjects? Uh, oh, it was... For sure, I was not bad in the language things uh, like French, Dutch. 
those things. Mathematics was also quite okay, uh, but more, yeah, the, the language things when I need to talk for the people or something in school, that, wa- that were things what I really liked. Mm. And how did your, you said sport wasn't in your family, cycling wasn't in your family. So how, how did your family feel about um, the, the direction that your life was taking, that, yeah. that professional cycling became yeah, a possibility? In the, in the beginning, they were was nice for them because they say yeah if he wants to do sports why not but then it became also more seriously and then they were also maybe on one side also a bit afraid of it uh, because yeah it's something really different Uh, it's it's a job with risks Um, so it's different than doing just a normal job Uh, and they also are not used to it so they were not let's say really happy with it uh, for sure they were happy that I can become professional and they also say yeah you need to take that chance um, if, for sure also because I like it um, but in the end they also say yeah don't lose your studies stay doing it because if something happens you have also that part still uh, next to you every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. It was unusual for writers to turn professional so young, and even mm-hmm. the polls kind of opened the door because he, you know, he turns professional and he wins San Sebastian in his first year. So teams are looking obviously at, at younger writers. Yeah. But was there any opposition? Or did you have any mentors or anybody else advising you to to not turn professional so young? Yeah, there were. I talked. I talked with a lot of guys. Some guys say, yeah. Also with my trainer, for example, we said, yeah stay one year in under 23 and go then to the professionals Um, and I was also not sure to do it directly because in the end it's a really big step you don't know how your body will react on it Um, but then we had we had with several world tour teams the option also that if it doesn't work I could go to their like for example DSM then if it doesn't work I could go to the under 23 back and play in between those two or being professional and doing some under 23 races with the development program. Um, but then with Bora, we had also some talks. Uh, and there the junior team was a really important part in it. Because then I could get used already a little bit to the World Tour team. Doing some training camps with them. Let's say being introduced in the team. Um, I could work already with my trainer for the next years. Um, I I lived already a little bit like uh, I would not say in way of training or way of eating, but in way of traveling and those things. Yeah, it was an already an international team. Um, so that was really, let's say, already our first step to make the step to the world tour or to a professional international professional team less big. So that was really something attractive um, to do. And also now this year uh, with Bora, um, they really are making something special for younger riders so that we uh, make, we have the World Tour program, but that we make also a, a next a, a other program with smaller races for younger guys, where, younger guys where they can do also smaller races where they can ride for the victory even. Um, so like for me, uh, I will maybe also have sometimes opportunity to to get my chance, and uh, for sure I have also still the the possibility to ride with the national team under 23 races. So for sure it will not be next year a whole world tour program or a whole professional you know program. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a development within yeah. within a world tour yeah. team. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean your results are, are one thing, but you know. From from hearing about um, what coaches and, and other people have, have said about also your performances in, in training and so on, it's clear that you know you are in, in their view a special talent. Um, what what are your main strengths? Climbing. Um, you're quite tall, but is I think you're a climber, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you see how, how, what kind of rider would you like to become? 
Yeah, so if we look for the moment, it's more climbing and time trial. Uh, my sprint is absolutely not so good. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, but yeah, more the longer climbs, that's what it was last year, what it is for the moment. Uh, for sure, we saw also now last year, I still grow some centimeters. So I am now around 1 meter 85. Uh, and around 68 kilograms, so, and we can reduce still the fat. So we are on a good way for the moment for becoming a GC rider. That's also in my mind what I want to become. That's my dream to become a GC rider. Uh, but for sure, now I, I, I guess I will finish uh, growing. And then you can also have a development in muscles and become more a classic rider, I think I will never become a, uh, a really big classic rider for the Flemish uh, uh, races, but maybe for the Walloon classics like uh, Maximilian Schachmann or something, uh, who's a little bit, um, yeah, let's say who has a little bit too uh, much weight for be, being a GC rider. But if we really look to the performance level now, then we would say GC rider. Yeah. Mm. I mean, um, we've talked about Remco Evenepoel mm -hmm. a lot um, and an amazing talent, um, yeah. but he has been more than anybody else in the glare of the, the, the spotlight of the Belgian media in yeah. particular and probably has made a, a few mistakes in, in things he's said and the way he's behaved. Is that also something you look at and, you know, you can see um, maybe things to avoid, pitfalls to dance around? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from everything you see, it's... Um yeah, you see sometimes if he says something, how the press reacts on it. And then for you, for sure, you pick it up and you say, okay, I don't need to say this in the press. Or uh, for sure, that are all things where I, where I look to. Uh, also from other riders, because yeah, it's really interesting to learn it. Um, it's special that you need to, that we need to learn it now already so young. But, but uh, yeah, that, that's for sure some things where I look to. And you spent some time with the Cunning Quick Step out of training yeah. camp. <coughs> where where was the camp and, and what was that experience like? Uh, yeah, it was one week in San Pellegrino. Uh, they were on altitude there. Uh, they were there for three weeks uh, with the whole team. It was just after the COVID period. And then they asked if I wanted to join. And for sure, that was for me uh, like a little dream to ride with all those, yeah, with Philippe and with, yeah, that was amazing. And uh, for, for me, it was really, it was, let's say, my first uh, introducement with pro riders. Yeah. Really? And, yeah. and how did you get on? I mean, how did you get on on the rides? How did you, where did you feel you were at compared to those guys? Yeah. In the beginning, I was also afraid. I said, should, could I, I didn't know if I could follow them on the hills, but then in the trainings, uh yeah on the climbs for sure i had the luck that we were in the climb so where i am good and then uh sometimes i know joe almeida he attacked and then i i went in his wheel and i could follow him and that was really something what i say well <laughs> i mean nice wow because he he went on obviously that that year to almost win the giro yeah. finished fourth overall and you were a training camp is not a race but yeah. Did you feel you were, you know, you, that he wasn't a million miles away? Yeah, exactly, exactly. For sure, he was. He was still stronger because he. I think it was also not his plan to kill me completely. But for sure, mentally, that was something from. Okay, I am also not so bad that I can not at all follow them. Uh, I know that I still need to progress really a lot, but it's also not a mission impossible. Mm. Yeah. Did you feel intimidated or, or, or shy around them? Did you speak to him? I mean, Alaphilippe, did yeah. you did you did you speak to him? Um, did you speak to him in French as well? I yeah. Mean, so in the beginning, I was really shy a bit and and really calm, and I didn't know what to say. But yeah, I was there. Yeah, I think one week or ten days, and then in the end, for sure, it becomes a bit more easy. And then I I spoke almost to everyone, also to Alaphilippe in French then. Yeah, they were really friendly and really open and they really don't act like a superstar. They are, yeah, just really nice, yeah. So did you learn a lot that, that week, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think yes, yeah. Also the way how they train, how they live. Uh, for sure also I looked 
what, what they eat and, and I asked a lot and yeah I think uh, yeah that was really a good way to to get introduced also to that world you've obviously been been courted you know by by several teams you mentioned DSM Jumbo Visma De Koninkwijkstedt Bora Hansgrohe as it was it difficult to to say no to people was it was that quite hard yeah yeah it was really hard uh, because yeah for sure, there were teams where you had not so big tall or where you had not so big contacts with. Uh, but then you are the t- you had a lot of teams where you were deep in negotiations and everything. And then in the end, yeah, you you need to say no. And like for example, Israel Startup Nation, I know Rick Verbrugge very well because Marcel Verbrugge, the father of Rick, he he was and he's still a little bit my my coach. Uh, that's a little bit the man who made me in in cycling Um, and then for sure yeah then it's really difficult to say okay no we don't choose for you the same with with DSM we had a really good relationship with Iwan Spekenbrink and we we really felt also good with them because in the end it was really a choice between DSM and Bora Hansgrohe and I felt I didn't sleep a lot of nights because it was really difficult to say no to one of those two but in the end I had yeah a little bit better feeling than with Dan, Dan Lorang so then I chose for Bora but it was really hard yeah mm. and the world championships were obviously near near here yeah. Leuven. I, I guess that was a major focus for you this year yeah and I'm guessing that they were a bit of a disappointment but you had a quite a, an upset in the before the world championship started something quite bizarre tell me yeah. what happened yeah so i went back from the europeans and uh yeah for sure for some days there was nobody at home even my parents they were still on the road back and so my grandparents picked me up at the airport bring me home i went sleeping uh, they and they went back home they put out uh, the light put off the lights and then there was like on the yeah, in front, I, I opened my window, let's say, of my of my uh, sleeping room. And uh, then there was someone, a crime, let's say, who wanted to enter my window, uh, my window. And yeah, in, in the beginning, I, I heard a lot of noise there. So I went to the window and, and looked through it. And then there was someone at, yeah, let's say a half meter or one meter from me because he wanted to enter the window. For sure, I closed the window then that he could not enter. Uh, but then and I, I ran downstairs to put the alarm and everything because I didn't put it because my parents still needed to come home. Um, but then the day after, I went on the time trial bike again. And then I had uh, in one time a lot of pain in the back of my knee. And then it was like a little muscle tear that I had. So... Uh, then we were thinking one moment from yeah maybe the preparation yeah for sure the preparation was not good anymore but in the beginning we were also really thinking yeah maybe it's finished for the world championship and that injury had you sustained that injury in that incident in that moment of the the you know trying someone trying to get into your house and you shutting the window and getting rid of them is that when the, the injury happened yeah exactly because also for sure i some hours before I, I rode the European Championship, so the missiles were still, yeah, hard or or a little bit. Yeah, there was, yeah, they were not recovered or norm in a normal state. And then I was really running and also not thinking for sure about okay, I need to pre attention and not jump uh, <laughs> down the stairs. Uh, and then I went just back sleeping, and the day after, directly, I I had pain. So yeah. So that because they must have been something you were looking forward to, I guess, all year. Yeah. Did you feel that you weren't able to perform at your best there? Yeah, I was not that, that, that I am sure I was not at my best. I had not the preparation I wanted because for sure, normally you need to do some interval training. We were some days off, almost one week off the bike could then not directly start with interval training because then, yeah, you make the tier just bigger. And then the weekend before it, we start with really hard training to yeah open the lungs and everything that we, yeah, that the body was still a bit used to it. But you felt also in the training from, okay, this is not the level I have normal and that I want to have. But in the end, then you also don't need to think too much about it because then your performance will just be 
uh, even lower. So then I was thinking, okay, just go all out with, with what you have for the moment. And that will still be, it will maybe not be the best, but it will still be, you know, a level where you can ride for the, a good place. And then the road race, you had a lot of bad luck, didn't you? Um, I, you crashed early on, I think, in the road race. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, I crashed already at, well, let's say, two or three kilometers uh, from the, uh, after the start. But I had no big uh, injuries of, or something, so I went back on my bike, but I was for sure dropped. And then when I came back, let's say three kilometers later, after six kilometers of racing then, uh, everyone in front of me crashed and uh, I went in the descent to the Wijnpers, uh that was. And yeah, I went full <laughs> on it and, and did like a salto and, and crashed on my back. Um, so yeah, then, uh, um, yeah, then I wanted to, to go again on the bike, but the bike was broken. Uh, so the frame was broken and yeah, the handlebars were also, <laughs> yeah, not able anymore to ride. So then I needed to wait on my other bike and that took a lot of time. And yeah, then, uh, it was for sure trying to come back, but yeah, that was also not so easy because at the moment that I was back on the bike, the, yeah, the race director decided to make barrage. So all the cars passed me and even my sport director, he said, yeah, I cannot bring you back. I, because yeah, it's not possible. They, they don't want it. And then it was like a whole race <laughs> going all out. And you didn't give up though. I, I was watching the race and you know, I was on the circuit and yeah. every time you went through, you were on the front of that little group. Yeah. So you, you didn't give up. Yeah. Yeah. That was for me because in the beginning, for sure, I had in my mind, okay, I tried to come back and then we see maybe there is still a possibility. But after a while, for sure, after doing that 40 kilometers or 30 kilometers, you also know this is a mission. How, how, how disappointing was that? Because it was a kind of local yeah. local world championship, you know, once in a generation opportunity, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Was that, that, was that was disappointing? Really hard. Also directly in the beginning, because it's so close to your home and you, you lived for it and you wanted to perform there. Your family is there. A lot of people you know are there. And then, yeah, it was really hard in the beginning. But, and then I also said from, yeah, because I had also a lot of pain of my crash in my back. But then I say also, yeah, if I stop now the race and go all off the circuit, then yeah, you know, then it's also not nice for nobody to don't see me racing. And also for me mentally, then I should say, okay, what do you have done? You need to have like a little bit more character and, 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 and keep on going. So then I say, okay, I just continue as hard as I can. Uh, I say next year, if I am in the pro category, I will suffer as hard as I suffer, need to suffer now. I will also suffer from start to finish maybe. So I say, yeah, I just go all out and, and, and we see what happened. And, and in the beginning, try to come back. And in the end, uh, yeah. Just, I don't know what I had in my mind, but I say, I keep on going. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what, um, do you, do you know your cycle? Are you into cycling history? Do you know, um, are you interested in the sort of history of the sport and, and things like that? Is, are you a keen follower of the sport as well? Do you watch a lot of races? Yeah, before not, now a little bit more. So, yeah, really about the, his the history from 50 years ago or even more. I don't know so much, but now I, for sure, I follow it. And last years, I lost, let's say, last two, three years, I start following it, it a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, people com compare to you to Remco Evenepoel, but maybe Eddie Merckx is a better comparison because he also <laughs> straddled sort of Flanders and, and Wallonia, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. That's the biggest hero of Belgium. Have you, have you met Eddie Merckx? Uh, no, never. He's, his son, yes, Axel, yes. I had some contacts with him, but... Eddie never, no. He, Axel would have been wanting you for his team, was he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I know in the under 17, I, I rode on the Merrick's bike and I became Belgium, uh, Belgium champion. And then they, my team made really a nice white bike with the colors and the Bel with Belgium colors. And it was also an Eddie Merrick's bike. And that was really wow. And that mm. the Merrick's bike in the Belgium colors, that I was really proud of it. Uh, so that bike. Who, I'll test you now, uh, quiz you. Who, who was the last Belgian to win a Grand Tour? Do you know? Oh, 
Yeah, it was not at the medics. That I, I, I was... I was it wasn't, sure. but it wasn't that long after. So it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time. Uh, Johann de Munk, I believe, in 1979, the Giro, I think. Okay. So somebody, not many people know about it, but no. it's one of these strange anomalies because Belgium is such a, a cycling country. It's been so long yeah. since they've won a Grand Tour. Yeah. So it could be you or Remco, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> we will see what happens. For sure, it would be a dream to, to do that, yeah. I don't think it would be so easy to walk down any street in, in any city in, in Belgium if you if you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you wouldn't have to buy yourself a beer, would you? <laughs> yeah, I think also, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But every Belgian rider has a has a fan club. Do you have a fan club yet? or? Yeah, I don't made some by myself but now yeah I, there were some people in the balloon part also who made it who asked if they could do it and i say yeah why not and yeah so yeah th that's also really something popular in belgium everyone has mm. it yeah are there any other famous cyclists from this area or uh, sometimes i train with louis vervaken uh who will also now join the cunning quick step uh we have also sylvain monique uh, was still a young rider and um, he don't live here but Tim Wellens uh, his father is also uh, from let's say 10 kilometers from here and he's my mechanic uh, yeah I mm. when I have a problem with my bike I go <laughs> to the father of Tim <laughs> Wellens let's say yeah well thank you very much it's been yeah, a, a pleasure to meet you and, yeah. and hear your story you too next year nice. what would you like to achieve what, what what are there any races you'd particularly like to ride oh yeah I think um, the smaller races will be for sure the most, let's say, races where I can show maybe my potential. So the not World Tour races. Then I hope maybe to ride a, a little smaller, maybe the Flash Wallon if it's possible, would be nice. Or maybe in the second year to do that. Uh, or the yeah or Catalonia or something a race like that would be but then you know that would be then the biggest race but that would something maybe be what I want to try and then I think Tour de l'Avenir must be one of the goals to try to get the result there so the under 23 race you'll be riding that for for Belgium I guess exactly yeah. that will be with the national team so I think yeah for goals in the professional we need to see and or the smaller races would be more goals and for sure to the to the lavenir and then maybe yeah something nice would be try a world tour race like flash wallon or uh, volta catalunya yeah and bora hansgrohe i mean they are a team in in transition peter, yeah. peter sagan's moved on they really are becoming a, a gc team it seems yeah. is, is that something that you've spoken to them they've spoken to you about a bit as well yeah Exactly. So yeah, there was a clear transform transformation uh, in that team, and uh, that was also for sure something really attractive. They want to improve in that part. They want to develop more climbers, and yeah, that was for sure something what was positive in my ears. Yeah. Now my mouth's full of delicious, <laughs> delicious sausage. <laughs> so we better end it there. Thank you very much. You too. Thank, Thank you. you very much. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport for their continued support of the Cycling Podcast. We're very pleased and proud to have Science in Sport by our side um, going into 2022, another season in the saddle together. Uh, if you'd like 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com. And at the checkout, enter the discount code SISCP25. I know you've been doing a lot of festive cycling, Lionel. Have you been uh, sampling more science and sport goodies? Well, funnily enough, I've been on the turbo quite a bit since uh, the start of the Christmas break. And I've been, well, I actually ordered some of the Turbo Plus range, the menthol. Mm. Um, really surprisingly effective Um a, a sort yes. of a sensory sensation really and whether mm. i mean i don't know the science behind this but um it's a it's a refreshing um way to basically fuel whilst riding in what can sometimes be i mean i don't want to undersell the uh the the, the training conditions in my uh, office slash performance, performance lab. lab yeah um but you know when you've got the fan on and the windows open it can still feel a bit oppressive can't it 
Um, but the Turbo Plus range is, is literally like a breath of fresh air. A men- yeah, well, a there is science behind it. it. Yeah, we, there is science behind it, as we heard from James Morton previously, uh, the um, nutritionist who works with science and sport and helped develop that range. Um, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Kian Utterbrooks, very interesting young guy um, and obviously a great talent. One corrections corner, Johan de Munch uh, is the last Belgian Grand Tour winner, but he won the Giro in 1978, not 79, as I said. And if you want to know more about the Pink Panther, as he was known, Lionel's episode in search of the Pink Panther is very entertaining. And we've just put it on the Friends feed, or it's going on the Friends feed this week. Um, it was released a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, and it features Roger de Vlamink as well. So if you're a friend of the podcast, you can have a listen. You must have fond memories of that little uh, visit to Belgium and uh, your hunting down of the Pink Panther. Yeah, it was a surreal one in a way because Roger de Vlamink and his charisma sort of overtook things. De Moink is a very understated character. If you saw him in the street, you wouldn't think there goes somebody who has won the Giro d'Italia. Um, and... De Vlamink and he... I mean, I don't, I, don't off, I don't have many encounters like that, to be fair, Lionel, <laughs> when I'm walking down the well, street. Well, I mean, even if you walk past Arno de Mar in uh, Amiens, you, you wouldn't is, be walking past a, a lot, Giro yeah. champion, would you? But um, whereas De Vlamink uh, is a, a larger-than-life character, isn't he? And w- myself and Jan-Peter de Vliega from Het Newsblad ended up having quite a surreal lunch with De Vlamink. We wanted to pick his brains about the 76th uh, Giro and the 78 Giro and find out a bit more about um, the, the sort of inter-team rivalry between him and De Moink. and uh, well you're trying to keep De Vlamink on topic is not easy um, and it was a slightly surreal lunch uh, exchange but uh, made for a very entertaining episode and I think you know says a lot about the sort of Belgian rivalries that, that flare up from time to time between, uh, between riders so kind of uh, appropriate to to listen to that, especially as it's now well, it's more than four decades since Belgium won a Grand Tour. Could Kian be the man? Who knows? But uh, well, I hope you enjoyed getting to know him a little bit, and he's somebody I think that will follow closely um, as his career progresses. Uh, a reminder: we mentioned there the Pink Panther Friends special, which is available to listen if you're a friend of the podcast. Um, but between Christmas and New Year, we released our Christmas selection box, seven episodes for friends of the podcast, from Daniel's UFO to a conversation between Lizzie Banks and Ian Boswell, Lionel's chat with Mick Bennett, the Tour of Britain organizer, ten years of Green Edge, and the roller coaster career of James Shaw. There are a couple of others there as well. All available to friends of the podcast. To sign up. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Well, as I said at the start, we'll be back with a full compliment next week. That means Daniel will be joining us as we uh, begin to look ahead to the 2022 season. And we'll have news next week about a very exciting new co- collaboration for the Cycling Podcast in 2022 as well. Um, so until then, thank you very much, Lionel. Thank you, Richard. This episode was produced by Adam Bowie.